0: The King James Version of Jesus' Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, uh, ends this way, Matthew 6, 13. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Absolutely beautiful and and powerful. But we don't find this uh, praise to God, this, this doxology, in our modern translations, do we? If you're looking at your NIV use the ESV, the two most popular translations, it's not found there. Because the, the newer Bibles are based on older manuscripts. So, so track with me for just a moment. The, the newer translations are based on older manuscripts. The Greek text translated for the King James is based on the textus uh, re, uh, receptus, which means in Latin the, the received text, which was a set of copies of the new testament a, a set that there were quite a number of them and so that's what was used uh by in writing the king james version that we have but but later biblical scholars found earlier manuscripts that did not have those words it ended with a, a prayer of deliverance from the evil one that's where where are just cut off and then we see in these later texts this word of praise so see the the earlier the copies are dated, the closer they are to the original. The closer they are to the original, the more reliable the copies are. Is that jacking me? I had to write that like four times. <laughs> so this text uh, authenticity in our prayer that we we learned as many of us in Sunday school, but the authenticity of that text has been debated and questioned for for centuries. Yet I think it's still very much appropriate that we conclude our series living on prayer walking through the lord's prayer looking at these beautiful words that the church has, has stood together to to pray to the lord again again so on the back of your bulletin uh in just a moment we're going to get to it we're going to have this outline for our message with these key words for thine O lord for yours is the kingdom the power the glory and amen those will be the the four key points later on in the message but first let's look at undisputed inspired scripture the text that the tar read for us the parable of the persistent widow luke eighteen one says this jesus then told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up So, bible class what's the parable about well duh right (laughs) pete it says right there it says always pray and, and don't give up right that's that's the answer right just yeah <laughs> not your question but but there's more that can be said that we have we have to just kind of tap the brakes for just a moment because we have to know the context that's bible study 101 understanding the context from which we find a passage of scripture or a verse you know you pull out a, a verse, someone's going through a difficult time, and we write that in a, a greeting card, or we, we send them a, a tweet, and, and that can be a blessing, but it can also miss the context in which it's found. And so what's the context here? Well, let, let, let's look at it. So we, we've read eight verses of chapter 18. By the way, remember when this was written, there was no such thing as chapters and verses, right? Or punctuation, but we'll, we'll cover that another time. But look at where verse 1 of 18 it says then jesus told his disciples then after that time after what 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 happened just prior to this story about a a persistent widow who's about to knock out this this uh this god godless judge what was jesus talking about prior to this illustration he was talking about the context is Speaking of the coming of the kingdom of God. The religious authorities, chapter 17, if you were to go back, the religious authorities, known as the Pharisees, they put a question to Jesus, to the young rabbi. They say, show us a sign. They say, when is the kingdom of God coming? Chapter 17, verses 20 and 21 says this, Jesus replied, quote, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of god he write, he says and luke writes the kingdom of god is in your midst it's among you it's here jesus answered the kingdom of god wasn't uh, wasn't coming in the way the pharisees We're expecting that the kingdom was inaugurated uh, with his coming, but not with a political overthrow of the Romans. That's what the Pharisees expected. That's what they had taught. That's what they had known, that there would be a political figure who would come and, and overthrow any adversary, bring justice to God's people. And that's not how it happened. No, Jesus said the kingdom would come silently and unseen, he mentions in, in Matthew 13, he says it's like the way leaven works through dough. If you any bakers among you, you put, uh, you put that in there. You put that yeast, you start mixing. You're not sure what's happening. All of a sudden, it just starts to grow, but it's unseen and unheard until it, until it happens. Jesus says the kingdom has already begun to come, and you Pharisees are missing it. It's right under your noses. God is ruling in the hearts of some people. The king himself is standing before you and you're asking for a sign, but you're oblivious to it. Jesus says in Matthew 24, no more signs will be given to you. He, he's saying, in, in, in effect, the kingdom of God is here because I am here, because the Lord Jesus is here. But Jesus himself, this bold, audacious claim that he himself is inaugurating the kingdom of God for those who have been called and drawn to him. So imagine the Pharisees' reaction. They'd be shocked. I mean, their chins would just drop. And that's why they wanted to kill him. He was claiming a place of, of deity, he was claiming that he was the fulfillment of all of these promises. It was too much for them. So that's what's happening just prior to this text he he talks about the coming of the kingdom and then immediately says it's going to come when you least expect it you'll be working in the field boom it's going to come he even he gets really uh pretty graphic he says two people will be in 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 bed and one of them will just disappear it's just going to happen when you least expect it he says you have to be on guard he says the time is coming between his eventual crucifixion and resurrection and then the coming his return on judgment day and in that in between time he's now talking to his disciples he says uh, you need to be ready and then he tells a story an illustration about praying and not losing heart not giving in that's the lead up to the parable the parable then the. The story, the little illustration, is about a persistent widow. It's, it's a story of a powerless, earnest woman who keeps coming after a powerful, heartless judge to get what? What does she want? She wants justice. we talked about justice a, a few weeks ago. She wants justice. It, it, it's about persistent prayer, for sure. It's about praying and not giving up, but the context of not losing heart, of of not giving up on prayer. Really, the context is about in the face of opposition, as followers of Christ, not to give up. Think about Luke, who wrote this gospel, and then he also wrote the book of Acts, the book of the apostles, the the acts of the Holy Spirit. Think about the opposition that the apostles were to face. And here, Jesus is saying, yes, pray, earnestly pray, but But more than that, don't lose heart because you're praying yourself into my kingdom. So the lesson, if you're simply seeing this and you say, pull it out of context, pray a lot and get more help, you're missing the point. That's almost to understand prayer as, well, if you just keep pestering God with all of your needs, he'll eventually give in. Is that the lesson here? Is that what we want to tell people? Just keep, keep at it, and eventually you'll get your way. No, the theme is God's heart for the good of those who love him. In this in-between time, in this time of the already but not yet, this time where, yes, Christ is ruling yet we don't see his kingdom every day, all the time, everywhere. We need eyes to see. We need ears to hear. Our hearts fail us. And so he says, pray, live on this prayer to engage your Father in heaven, to hallow his name, to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, to pray that that would happen right here on this plane, on this earth, as it is in heaven, and so on and, and, and so forth. So he says here this great promise, this great promise to us in the waiting, in this struggle. If a persistent widow can come after this, 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 Godless, heartless judge, how much more will your Father in heaven truly come through and bring you justice? In his kingdom, by his power, for his glory, forever and ever. Amen. So the crooked judge finally gives in to the widow. Why, why does he give in to the widow? Why she just keeps coming after him, right? And he's thinking, you know, he knows himself pretty well, better than we sometimes know ourselves. He says, I don't fear God. I don't care much for people. But this woman, she keeps coming after me. She's going to ruin my reputation. In fact, I like how the NIV helps us out a little bit. I, she's going to punch me in the face one of these days. I mean, it's like, I might as well just give in. So, so in the waiting, in this in-between time, Jesus wants his people to be praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. That's what it means to be living on a prayer. And that's why he ends here with this question, sort of hanging out there. But when the Son of Man returns, will he find, what will he find? Will he find faith? And faith, our faith is computed not just with believing a certain set of facts. Our faith is equivalent to prayer, to a life of prayer to worship, to communing with God. See, worship is so much more than a few songs that we sing on Sunday. It's it's our life. He wants to find his people engaged. So he concludes this way, verse 7 and 8, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you. Verse 8, He will see that they get justice and quickly, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I, I think he's, he's saying it in effect, when I return, will I find my, my chosen ones, my eklatos, literally means my hand-picked ones, the ones that have been picked, will I find my team keeping in prayer? Or will they have lost faith and given up? lost all hope and given in i wonder has anyone here lost hope in prayer is there some deep concern that weighs heavy on your life in which you've gotten to a point where you say what's the point of praying god's not listening god's never going to answer this prayer have you come to that point that you can name it even now well, I'm going to pray with you we're going to pray together that answer will come But what Jesus does say in the mystery in that place in between where a pat answer a Sunday school answer a, a quoted verse on a car just doesn't really help he says you know, in that mystery I'm with you I'm with you. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Do You see, the kingdom of God is is already here. Look around. The kingdom of God is close at hand. By God's grace, we will endure to the end. Why? Because it's his kingdom, and it's his power, and it's, it's his glory forever and ever. Amen. So now... Time to take some notes if you'd like to. And I just want to leave you with, with four insights about prayer, about persistent prayer, about powerful prayer, just four thoughts that have come to my mind in my study for prayer. And, and maybe four bits of advice. Can I give you a little advice about prayer? Like where do, we, where do we start? What do we do to engage this dialogue, this conversation with the Lord? Number one, you see at the top of your notes, kingdom, as in yours is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is his rule. The kingdom of God is his reign. Dallas Willard defines the kingdom as, quote, the range of God's effective will. When Jesus says receive the kingdom of God, what what analogy does he use? Who does he point us to as an example of how we're to receive the kingdom? Like little children. Isn't that interesting? He says receive this kingdom, receive the rule of God, like a child. Receive my Father in heaven with childlike openness. The kids don't need to be told when, when they have a need, do they? A, a child, think about it like a little child, is hungry, is wet, is cranky. What are they doing? They're crying, right? They're crying out. And they're open to a loving parent who hopefully will solve the problem. Hopefully can read their mind. Isn't it amazing, parents, how you can, you can kind of know, oh, this is what's happening. I, I, you, you know your kid, and then they keep developing. Oh, there's something else going on. We need to come to, to God like a child in need. Now, what happens when a child's rebellious? We're talking, what, like two-year-olds and up? Younger? Older? Let's, let's stick with terrible twos. What's that child doing? when they're rebelling and they're saying I don't need you I just want to have a little fit here Jesus says don't come that way come like one who, who knows their needs so here's the secret to living on prayer it's learning helplessness learning or relearning helplessness this is an ironic insight to share with you I've matured as a follower of Christ, the, the, the more I see and recognize my immaturity in Christ. Does that, does that make sense? The more I see how much more I have to learn to trust in Him, how, how much I need Christ every day to walk this life. The more I do that, the more I see that, that my life just doesn't add up unless I have God's grace every day. I cannot be a, a godly righteous husband or or father or even pastor without grace and i fail all the time but what he says is come and bring your true self and my true self i won't speak for you but for me it's pretty messy and helpless the version of me that you see on sunday the put together version the super spiritual version that's not the real me what does jesus call that kind of person In the context of Matthew 6, what does he say about prayer, about serving others? What does he call that person? A hypocrite? A hypocrite. Instead, we're to come to God like a father, Abba, father, dad, papa, I I need you. So we need to learn, and some of us need to to relearn this, this lesson of powerful prayer. That's the secret. Here's my advice, then, for living on prayer. Set aside a time and a place each day to pray, and don't leave it to chance. The devil defeats most praying before it happens, uh, because we don't stick with a plan. How many good things, important things, family things, business things, urgent things keep you from praying daily? It's not the devil who's keeping you from praying. It's all of your important things, oh, you're so important. The things you have to do are so important. You're not helpless. You've got your act together. You've got a meeting at 6.30. The devil doesn't have to use any tools for that. Go ahead, yeah. Be my guest. Things are too urgent to pray. Set a time aside each day, morning, noon, night, doesn't matter. What works for you is fine, but set it, put it into your calendar, and don't leave it to chance. My friends, you can't afford not to engage in the kingdom. So I'd encourage you this summer, especially now when we're getting into the summer months. And boy, it gets light early, doesn't it? I was up by like 4:30 this morning. We I mean, up till what midnight tonight when the sun goes down. I don't know the way it is. There's plenty of time. There's plenty of daylight to find. Some time to pray. Number two, yours is his kingdom. Yours is the what? Power. All right, you're with me. Living on a prayer is powerful. We're just saying it. There's power. There's power. James 5 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I love the King James Version. It says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's like, it's like, got eat eat on those words. Like, think about that. It veileth much. There's power in prayer that we've studied, that we've been looking at and studying this whole time. It's a model of prayer. Power to live a Christ-honoring life, and we need that power. We need to engage in that power on a daily basis. It kind of falls in line with what, with what I was saying before, but we have to understand this is a communication with God that you've been invited into and it's a dialogue it's not a monologue and it is communication it's not silence see i think most christians kind of fall into one of two camps and we want to try to find a balance between the the two on on the one far side is prayer simply just offering up our our wants it's just a monologue you're just it's just a whole list of all you god we love you today and here's my list my laundry list my grocery list good things important things powerful things but that's all we do too far too much on the other side is what kind of communication no communication nope, nope. yeah that family member that you find hard to even call I guess I'll say a text message a uh, text I'll, I'll wait till the next holiday so, so there's just nothing. You say, well, why don't we, why don't we pray uh, at the beginning of our meeting? Okay, i got to come up with something spiritual. It's a holiday, uh, families together. Uh, who's going to pray? They look at you because you're a member of the church. Okay, let me do the prayer thing. So that there's one extreme or the other. One is this kind of name it and claim it, and the other is just, well, you know, just. It's all going to work out, so why, why engage in prayer? What's fascinating is Jesus teaches on prayer so much, and he talks about this analogy of being childlike so much, and, and you know which side of the ledger he addresses more often? Uh, this side or this side? Which one? Do we want to vote? Which one? Do you, want, do you want to It's this side. It's folks that are prayerless. It's those that just get uncomfortable. Oh, fine. We'll pray. Oh. We're going around the circle. Let's start here and go around. Oh, and the whole time, we're just thinking, what am I going to say? This is so uncomfortable. That's the side that he's most concerned about. He's got to write this ship, and so he goes at it. He says to these folks, pray, pray, pray. Don't worry about the guys over here that are praying too much. We'll talk about that another time. I'm concerned about those of you who pray so little. And so what does he use? He uses an illustration of of a widow who keeps on asking. He talks about another scene of a a friend who comes at midnight knocking at your door, persistently knocking at the door asking for food. Have you ever said no to your child, your two-year-old, or not yet? How do they react? I want it now, right? They just keep coming at you. And we need to discipline our kids, of course. Yeah, sorry. It's true. But that's the type of intention that he's saying. Keep coming in prayer. Engage in it. Keep on asking. So here's the advice in living in a prayer. Combine praying at that special time with Bible reading. As you read scripture, and we don't have to get into an intense BSF, precept, whatever, taking notes, Read God's Word, and then pray God's Word. Read a little bit of God's Word, and pray a lot. It will help you focus. It's so hard to to focus, isn't it? Sometimes, like, gosh, it's already been three minutes. I can't stand this prayer thing. Read a little, pray a lot, repeat. Got it? Good. Number three, yours is the kingdom, the power, and yours is the glory. Psalm 115, verse 1 not unto us, O oh Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. The most dangerous prayer you can pray is Lord, use me for your glory. The most dangerous prayer that you can pray is Lord, use me for your glory. So my, my third bit of advice for living on a prayer has to do with our with our posture towards prayer, towards worshiping of God. In the biblical accounts of prayer, there are many postures uh, described. Abraham uh, fell upon his face before God, Genesis 17. Moses prayed with his hands outstretched in Exodus 9. Solomon knelt in prayer in 1 Kings 8. And Jesus prayed looking up to heaven in Matthew 6 and John 11 and 17. Now, prayer does not require a certain physical position, but, but our posture does give expression to our heart's attitude. And, and most of us are, are used to what when we pray? Sort of like we're sitting, we're sort of like a like thinker. We're sort of, Well, there's more to this than just bow your heads and, and close your eyes. The, the scripture gives us that these postures really impact the way we commune with God, what's happening with the Lord. So first off, let me just say before I mention just three examples No posture symbolizes humility better than face down before God. you imagine if we started worship? Like, that church, man, they have the best worship. Oh my gosh, you've never been to that church for worship? They really do. It's not entertainment. They love the Lord. Well, how do they start worship? What do they do? The entire worship team is lying face down on the floor. It's just amazing. What? That is the great example in Scripture of worship. Very little on music. Just lying flat on your face. In response to a serious crisis, that's how the leaders of Israel would respond. Against all odds, Numbers 20 and Joshua 7, they, they were praying for God to deliver them, to rescue them. They'd lie with their foreheads on the ground. So we'll try that sometime. <laughs> Number two, we don't have kneeling benches. Most churches don't, unfortunately, anymore. But kneeling or bowing before the Lord is a symbol of one's heart attitude towards forgiveness. And we're going to ask God to forgive us our sins before we come to the table. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of of reverence. Uh, The the psalmist says we're to humble ourselves. He says of himself, I'm humbling myself before you, God. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and what? Bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That's what worship looks like. Imagine if our guests came in and the worship teams fly on their face and everyone's bowing down, taking a knee. And I think for some of us, that would be really hard to get up again by the third song. They're like, ah, oh, cre- creaky knees. Okay. And finally, stretched out arms. Stretched out arms. We're, our church is changing and, and growing, and, and new forms of worship are coming, and we're seeing folks raise their hands or not. And that's okay. You don't have to raise your hand, but, but that is modeled in scripture of lifting our hands to god lifting our hands to his glory and, and seeking his blessing the apostle paul writes to timothy in instruction for worship first timothy 2 8 uh, he says pray with lifting lifting up holy hands lifting up holy hands finally we're going to wrap it up here his kingdom find a time and place to pray his power read and pray scripture his glory find that reverent posture in that time even at home find that place And finally, amen. Amen. It's a term of agreement. Amen? (laughs) See? So my final word of encouragement is find someone to pray with. Find a prayer partner. My strongest ally in prayer is Cheryl. So we got to pray, honey. Let's pray. She says to me, you need to find somebody. That widow, she needed to find a community. She needed to find somebody. So whether it's your small group, whether it's after service, I'm up here every Sunday, someone out in the hall by the next environment, we can just ask a pastor, ask an elder, can you pray with me? Can you keep on praying for me? I love the Yolganos who are going to real life church, but they, they contacted their family here. Pray for us. Let me pray for you before we come to the table. Lord God, we love you this morning. We thank you for the Lord's prayer. We thank you, God, for the series on prayer and I pray, God, for for powerful, unleashing, transformative prayer to happen and continue to happen in the life of our church. Prayer in the midst of worship services, like a furnace that would fire up, Lord, and burn bright. And We know that that your spirit would come even more powerfully if we engaged in prayer. Lord God, help us to find those, those times each day, to talk with you, to listen to you, to read and learn from your word, Lord, to find that posture of, of body and, and, and attitude, and then, Lord, also to find community. To, there's going to be so much travel this summer. Everyone's got summer plans, but, Lord, to, to not miss out on coming together in worship. So, God, bless our time as we come to your table as Pastor Mark and Pastor Frank lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.